City Church, we're once glad again to have you here, have you online. We're so happy to have you together to worship God together. We're going to take a look at some scripture passages this morning and see what God might have to say to us through that. So uh, again, thanks again for being here. Let's pray together and ask God to speak to us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're with us whenever we're gathered together. We thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us in our life. So Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that you want us to hear this morning and see uh, as we listen to you. Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide. In your name we pray, amen. How is everybody? All right, we're coming back, aren't we? We're getting there one day at a time. We're in a series called Let's Be Honest, which is focused on the Psalms. And the great thing about the Psalms in Scripture is it's one of the most honest books in the whole Bible. You have a collection of of songs and poems and writings that come from people who are trying to be really honest with God about what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. Imagine the Bible without Psalms. You have this centerpiece, like it's almost literally in the center of the whole book, saying the, the heart experience of humans communicated to God, just like, God, this is what we're going through. Good, bad, in between, that that's a form of prayer. So especially if you're somebody who struggles with prayer, maybe take the Psalms as a, an encouragement to just be super honest with God this week about whatever. God already knows what you're going through, but wants to have a conversation with you about it. So express yourself as honestly as you can in prayer to God. That's what we're encouraged to do in the Psalms. Today, we're going to focus in on some, uh, one Psalm in particular that helps us deal with pride, that helps us deal with pride. Psalm 51, we're going to take a look at, which is written by King David. And as we talk about uh, pride and the challenges that it creates in our lives, I want you to think some about your own experience and, and how you might be experiencing pride in your life. So just as a quick definition, the way that I think about pride is just any time in our lives when we've rejected what God wants for us. Any time where we've ignored God or ignored God's guidance in our lives, and we've ended up with a view of ourselves that's not accurate. The way that you're thinking about yourself is either too much, you're thinking too, too well about yourself, or too little. And sometimes people don't think about pride in terms of thinking too little of yourself, but they're two sides of the same coin. Struggling to see yourself the way that God sees you, either by thinking too much of yourself or thinking too little of yourself. And so I want to start by having an honest conversation. Let's be honest. In the 21st century, it's pretty hard to have an accurate view of yourself, isn't it? It can be hard to see yourself the way that God sees you in part because every single day, someone is trying to tell you who you are. Someone is trying to influence your view of yourself, either to get you to buy something or to do something that they want you to do, but they want to influence the way that you see yourself. So every single day, in relationship with other people and relationship in the world that we're in, we're fighting. We're battling to try to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. True confession this morning. I'm pretty terrible at taking selfies. My, my daughter in particular teases me about my selfie skills. I can't figure out where the camera is exactly, 
and I never know which of the three buttons I'm supposed to push. Now, you might think that's kind of funny, but if you're Gen X or older, you have a good excuse, right? We didn't grow up with this stuff. So millennial folks, just cut us some slack. Like, we really don't know. I don't know how to do it. And since we're talking about pride this morning, I'm sort of proud that I don't know how to do it. I'm taking pride in the fact that I stink at selfies. That's legit. I'm confessing that to you. I don't want to be good at selfies. When I was a kid, we didn't have, this is like, you know, I can see the eye rolls coming, right? Like when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones. Can anybody even imagine that anymore? We didn't have cell phones, but we had lots of other ways to make sure people knew who we thought we were, right? Raise your hand if you lived in the generation where you stole pins from your mom in order to pin your pants around your ankles. There's three of us in the room. Here's a phenomenon. Before there were skinny jeans, we made our jeans skinny. We stole safety pins from our mothers and tightened our jeans around our ankles so that we could look cool. Doesn't that sound bizarre? Now they just make the jeans really skinny so you don't need the pins anymore. We bought jackets that were super expensive with team logos on them called starter jackets. Who had a starter jacket? You had to get one somehow so that you could be cool. All the same things that are true today. Who you hung out with, what kind of activities or sports you were into, what kind of games you played, all that kind of thing defined who you were. It was how you shaped your identity. And when you're a teenager, if you're a teenager today or you're a preteen, it's a really hard period of life. Because you're trying, you actually don't even really know who you are. You're kind of figuring it out. That's what you're supposed to be doing at that age. And you're also trying to manage what everybody else thinks about you in a way that makes you feel good about yourself. So there's just a ton of pressure to define yourself. But it doesn't really go away when you're an adult, does it? Not completely. Hopefully we get a little more secure in who we are, but we're still struggling with managing ourselves. We're posting images constantly on social media to let people know how amazing our lives are, right? So the struggle that we have now, I think is even more intense from the period when we pinned our jeans and wore starter jackets because it's ever present. Every single moment of every day, you could be managing your identity in some way, shape, or form. You could be trying to communicate something about who you are to the people who are paying attention to you, whoever those people might be. And it's causing tremendous stress, especially for young people in our lives. There's lots of studies about how much anxiety is created because I constantly have to worry about how people are thinking about me. It's too much. So how do we stay centered on an accurate view of ourselves? Not a prideful view of ourselves, an accurate view of ourselves that doesn't think too much of ourselves and also doesn't think too little of ourselves. How can we battle pride and stay centered on what God says about us day in and day out? That's what we want to talk about today. So to get there, I want to start with a, a very short, short history or a couple examples of the backstory of pride in the scripture. And so in the book of Genesis, many of you know, the very first story of Adam and Eve is a story about pride. 
It's a story of the first two humans being created and God creating this perfect space for us and saying, you can live here and you can enjoy everything, but I have this one boundary. You can't eat from this one tree. And a serpent comes along and it convinces the first two humans, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat that fruit is because then you'll become like God. And so from our very first origin story, we're thinking to ourselves, maybe we're really more like God than we are like ourselves. Maybe God's trying to hold us back from something that's really, really great, and we're being tricked. Maybe we should take the risk to disobey what God told us and eat this fruit so that we might become God's ourselves. That's thinking too much of yourself. That's being unwilling to accept who you are created to be. And it's just worked out terribly for us ever since. We're constantly trying to live into something that's not us, that's not designed for us, that God didn't create us to do. And over and over and over again, we battle this pride to either think too much of ourselves or think too little of ourselves. And God is constantly trying to recalibrate us to say, no, this is who you are. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. David, who's going to be the focus of our conversation this morning, is a king uh, in Israel. When he was a boy, he decided he was going to take on uh, an enemy called Goliath, who was uh, from the Philistine clan. And he's one of the smallest people in, uh, in this area at the time. He's a young boy. He's used to watching over sheep. And this giant keeps challenging his people And he goes forward and says, let me battle Goliath because nobody should disrespect God's people like that. And everyone laughs at him and says, like, you're just a little kid. All you've done is look over sheep. You can't do that. Why in the world would you think, why would you be so arrogant and prideful to think that you're the one to battle Goliath? You're just a guy with a slingshot. So he volunteers himself and King Saul brings him in to his castle and says, listen to me, you should put this armor on. It's way too big for you because that's what people who fight folks like Goliath wear. And he looks at it, he puts it on, and it doesn't fit him. And he says, no, I, I can't wear this armor. I'm not a giant warrior. I'm just a kid. But I'm a kid who trusts God and believes that God wants to use me. So I'm going to take the same five stones that I have every day of my life And I'm going to trust that God's going to give me victory over this person who's threatening us. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I think that's what God's calling me to do. At this beginning of us getting to know David in Scripture, he has a very accurate view of himself. He knows he's not a big armor guy, but he's also not shrinking to the back of the line saying, there's no way I can defeat this Goliath. I can with God's help, and I'm going to. And he does. Then he goes into service of Saul. King Saul, and he plays music, and he serves the king, and the king hates him more and more and more because David grows in credibility and fame with the people. But David never, ever, ever is willing to overthrow Saul the king because he keeps saying, that's the Lord's decision. That's the Lord's call. Whoever is king is up to God, not me. And he respects the boundary of who he is, who God is, and who the king is. 
And God honors that. Even when he's running away and hiding in caves because Saul's trying to kill him, he maintains his understanding of who he is and trusts that God will do what God's going to do in and through him. Then he becomes king, and after a while, he gets in trouble. He starts to think of himself more highly than he ought. He sits in Jerusalem while the armies are out fighting his battles. And one day he decides it's a good idea to try to get a man killed because he really loves the man's wife. So he sends this man, Uriah, out to battle in a way that he knows he's going to die. And sure enough, Uriah dies, and um, the news comes back, and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, mourns her husband, and then David takes her as his wife into, uh, into his home and doesn't think anything of it, really. Doesn't even think twice about it. Then the prophet Nathan, somebody that God uses to speak to God's people, comes into the throne room one day, and he starts telling this, this story that God gave him. And he says, King, King David, there's a man who has one sheep, and he raised the sheep from the time it was an infant, and he treated it as if it was his own child. He loved the sheep. And, it, and he was a poor man, so it was his only possession, really, along with his family as they worked. And then a rich man was in town, and someone came to visit the rich man, and the rich man needed to host this person, and he didn't want to use one of his many, 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 many sheep, so he went and took the sheep from the poor man who only had one sheep and killed it in order to provide hospitality to the guest. David's listening to this story. David's so clueless at this point that he has no, no idea that it's about him, that the story's about him. And so because he's kind of a fly-off-the-handle kind of dude, he flies off the handle and says, that's outrageous. Nothing like that should ever happen in my kingdom. We're going to kill this rich guy who stole this man's sheep, and we're going to give that guy four sheep back in place of his one sheep. That's what we're going to do. And then Nathan, probably trembling a little bit, says to the king, you are the rich man. You're the one who stole a man's wife and had him killed and brought her into your house and didn't think twice about it, even though everything was yours and God had given you everything. So then in that moment, David realizes. David's heart changes. And he, and he recognizes, I have done something terrible. But not until that moment. Even for a guy who battled a giant and served a king who tried to kill him, who trusted God deeply, it was easy for him to get into a spot where he thought more of himself than really was, was accurate. And someone had to come and challenge him and point out his sin to him. So I want us to be honest this morning when we're thinking about pride. In the 21st century, we desperately need God to tell us who we are. We desperately need God to remind us every single day, sometimes every hour of every day, who we are. Or we will forget. We will think too much of ourselves. We will think too little of ourselves. 
There are so many of us struggling to even see worth in ourselves. So many people in your life every day aren't sure if they're really valuable, if they really matter, if they were gone the next day, if anybody would even care. You might not even know that those people are around you every day, but they are. And what we need to hear this morning, and really every morning, is the truth that God is trying to communicate to us over and over again, that we have value because God says we have value. We have value because we're created in the image of God. We don't have value because we decide we have value. We don't have value because we carefully curated our image and people like us. We don't have value because of what we do or how much money we have or what we've succeeded at. We have value because the king of the universe decided that we have value. And so when David is confronted with his sin here, he writes this psalm. And it's one of the more famous psalms because it has this depth of emotion and confession in it that's beautiful and has helped us for a long time realize how do we confess our sin when we recognize that we've thought too much of ourselves or we've done something that's so obviously against what it is that God wants for us or from us. Let me read you the psalm this morning. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, which we sang about this morning. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my inequity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure, take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise this. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
David comes to understand how awful what he did was. And he writes this psalm to try to recalibrate his identity to who God says he is. I just have a couple of quick thoughts about this, this passage. First, that he starts off by talking about how merciful God is. That God is un, a God of unending love. God is merciful, compassionate, loves us unfailingly. This is who we're talking to every single day when we're asking God to tell us who we are. Not a God who's angry at us, not a God who's waiting to punish us, not a distant God who doesn't care about us, but a God who intimately knows you and loves you and wants the best for you, like a loving parent does. That's who we're talking to. This God wants to help us. We keep wanting to help ourselves, but God wants us to depend on God. In verses 2 through 6, we, we see that we are a people who struggle with sin and the effects of sin. I'm confused oftentimes, especially over the last couple of years, why we as Christians have such a hard time admitting where we're wrong. Sometimes we feel super defensive, especially when we're learning new things or realizing the blind spots we have. And the Christian community to me seems overly defensive. Shouldn't we be the ones who are the quickest to admit the things that we've done wrong? Isn't the whole center of the gospel message that we're forgiven for the things that we've done wrong, but only after we own them and admit them and ask God to heal us from them? What is it that we're so afraid of? And admitting that things we didn't know, didn't realize, things we maybe did wrong that we didn't even know we were doing wrong. We ought to be the softest-hearted people, not the hardest-hearted people or the most defensive people. And you see this soft heart here in David admitting his sin, publicly admitting how terrible it is what he has done and asking God to be forgiven. What do we need to be forgiven for this morning? There isn't any shame in a Christian community for admitting the fact that you need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for all kinds of things. We need forgiveness for the ways in which we have willfully done things wrong that God didn't want us to do. We need forgiveness for the ways in which we have loved ourselves more than we love other people. We need forgiveness for the times which we've been embarrassed to call ourselves followers of Jesus. We need forgiveness for the ways in which we have not cared about the poor and the marginalized and those who are suffering from injustice. We should be able to own that stuff, shouldn't we? Because God is waiting to forgive us and heal us and send us back out into the work that God has for us to do. We need to speak these things out loud, both together and individually, in order that the sin doesn't have power over us anymore and we can experience God's healing. At the, towards, the, towards the middle of this psalm, verses 7 to 12, we're invited to give up this sin that's holding us back. Instead of holding on to these things that essentially ruin our lives, instead of continually trying to create our own security and our own comfort and our own identity, we give up. We say, God, we can't do it. God invites us to give that stuff to God in order 
to exchange it for a clean heart and a pure spirit and a willingness to do the things that God wants us to do so that the world may experience God's love. God gives us grace in exchange for our sin, not punishment. God does not define us by our sin, but instead defines us by the act of grace in Jesus Christ on the cross. And so in return for God's grace, at the end of this psalm, we offer praise. We offer thanksgiving. We say, God, you are great because even though that we have fallen short, you still have loved us and reminded us who we are and given us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance, however many chances we need. So as I wrap up this morning, I want to just say, what is this struggle like for you? Do you think of yourself as somebody who struggles with pride? Maybe you're in a really healthy place like David was at the beginning of the story. Maybe you're in a spot where you say, I really am listening to what God says about me, and I feel like I am accepting that God's telling me I'm a son or a daughter, and I don't worry about what other people think about me, and I live into the things that God's invited me to do. Praise God for that, if that's where you are in your life. That's where we all want to be. For others of you, you might be in a spot where you're struggling with thinking too much of yourself. And just so that you get an idea of what that might look like in your life, here's some examples. If you notice in your own life or in our community's life that we're not willing to receive feedback from anyone, that's an example of thinking too much of yourself. If you're in a spot where you're not considering at all what God thinks about you or what God wants you to do with your life, That's an example of thinking too much of yourself. If you feel defensive every single time someone shares an idea that's different from your idea, you might be thinking too much of your own ideas. If you feel that you're doing, if you know that you're doing things wrong and hiding them from other people, then you might be thinking too much of yourself. If you're never praying because you're not really depending upon God, you might be thinking too much of yourself. If you're not grateful for anything you have and you're always wanting more, you might be struggling with pride. If you're bullying people to get get what you want out of them, you could be struggling with pride. And on the flip side of this coin, if you uh, are thinking too little of yourself, if you're not owning the fact that God loves you no matter what and and your identity as a child of God is secure, then you might be prone to people-pleasing. Anybody struggle with people-pleasing? I have where everyone's expectation is more important to you than God's expectation to you. You might not be caring for your body or your spiritual health or your emotional health because you're not convinced you deserve that kind of care. You might be always afraid of what other people think about you. You might be rebelling against God because you've decided God doesn't care for you. You might be bullying other people just to hide how you really feel about yourself This is what's actually going on in a lot of our lives. Don't hear me saying that's terrible if that's what you're experiencing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to describe it to you so you can identify it and do what David did. Confess it to God and say, I know that's not right. I know you love me more than that. I know I'm not that smart. Help me to remember. Help me to recalibrate, recenter on what you say is true about me. Because that's solid and doesn't change and isn't dependent on our ability to manage it. 
It can be so hard to remember who God says you are. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 1 that anyone who believes puts their trust in Jesus Christ and allows Jesus to define who they are becomes a child of God. And nothing can take that away from you. The good news of Jesus Christ is it doesn't matter what you've done, what your background is, where you're from, what you think, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a conservative, what, what your opinion is about anything, Jesus invites you to come to the cross and say, receive what I have for you, which is an identity. Not only forgiveness for things you've done wrong, it's an identity and a calling. This is who you are. Don't let anybody tell you different. This is who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. And we have work to do. And we get to do it together. And I've given you particular gifts to do the work that you're called to do, and I invite you to use them. You are not what other people think about you, church. You're not even what you think about you. You are what God says you are. Confession is a spiritual practice that helps us recenter ourselves. It helps us remind ourselves who God says we are, own our sin in our lives, and experience God's forgiveness. We remember that it's God's grace that defines us, not how others see us and not even how we see ourselves. So as Pastor Donna comes up and the band comes back up, I'm going to pray. We're going to practice communion which is our weekly expression of this recalibrating, this reconnecting uh, around what Jesus says is true about us because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I, I pray in this moment, you know the hearts of everyone who's heard this message or will hear this message. You know our weaknesses. You know the things that we've done wrong. You know the ways we struggle of thinking too much of ourselves. And you know the ways that we think too little of ourselves. Help us today not to reject you or your ways, but to hear your voice. To hear you call us and say, take a deep breath. Let me speak into your life. Let me remind you that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Let me remind you of what Jesus has done for you. Don't let anybody else tell you who you are. Just listen to me. Jesus, give us security as a church in that identity so that we can navigate all the chaos that goes on around us every day. And help us to be people who are solid enough in our identity in you that we can invite other people to know this kind of love and security that you offer to us, that we might not be shaken by all the circumstances of life, but walk through them with you at our side together, constantly reminding us who we are and that you are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.